0: Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation.
1: Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for the week of September the 9th. I'm your host for this week, Michelle Kitchens. On this week's edition, we have some interesting and in-depth interviews about critical issues in Arkansas agriculture, including news from UAPB's agriculture program, the latest on efforts to combat feral hogs, and a conversation with Arkansas's 4th District Congressman Bruce Westerman. First up, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Ken Moore talks to Dr. Dozie Butler, the new Dean of the School of Agriculture, Fisheries and Human Sciences at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. Ken sat down with Dr. Butler during a recent farm field day at UAPB and discussed her goals for the department and efforts to recruit more students.
0: I'm Ken Moore and I'm down at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff for the uh, School of Agriculture, Fisheries and Human Sciences annual Farm Field Day that we've just concluded here at UAPB and I'm uh, so honored to be sitting with the new Dean Director of the School of Agriculture, Fisheries and Human Sciences, Dr. Dozy Butler. And uh, Dr. Butler, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. had an outstanding turnout today for your farm field day. Were you surprised at the crowd?
2: I was really pleased. I didn't know what to expect since this was my first field day here, but I am well pleased with the turnout. Uh, Turnout from our faculty members, from industry government supporters, our producers, And also, we had more students, I'm told, than we've ever had in one of our field days. So, yes, I'm well pleased.
0: And I was going to comment on the number of students, and you commented in your uh, luncheon address here just a moment ago, that is your emphasis, right? Of course, this is, uh, you want to recruit more students into the School of Agriculture. And uh, so talk about your outreach efforts, and, and you must have had, uh, I'm going to say considerably more than 100, maybe 150 students. I bumped into a young woman who's just now the new ag teacher over at Whitehall, just now starting a new program there at Whitehall High School. So that was outstanding.
2: It really was outstanding. Someone called me, I was in Little Rock at another program on Tuesday, and said, you know, that more students wanted to come. They had talked to an assistant principal, and more students wanted to come. We said, bring them even if we had to uh, pay, even if uh, Tyson couldn't support them all, we said, okay, we would pay for uh, for their lunch. We, at some point, we're going to go home. All of us who stood as faculty, staff, at some point, we're going to go home. We want to make sure that agriculture is in good hands. So to do that, we've got to uh, replenish. As I stated earlier, as part of the new motto about growing people, How do we do that? We need to get the next generation of students interested in agriculture, preferably here at the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff in the School of Agriculture, Fisheries and Human Sciences, because we need them to be that next generation of uh, producers, business people, government people who are committed to agriculture. So we're going to grow them.
0: UAPB is located, as we all know, right here in the heart of row crop territory in the Delta. Uh, Jefferson County, it's its the driving engine of Jefferson County, uh, and you're trying to develop the next leaders uh, in our state's largest industry. Uh, and, and so you have a very impressive resume before coming here. What attracted you to come to UAPB and be a part of this work?
2: Opportunity as they stated when they introduced me i have been the interim dean of two colleges uh... the college of agriculture family consumer sciences and the school of graduate studies i wanted to be the real dean and university of arkansas at pine bluff provided me that opportunity so it's all about opportunity that's why i'm here and and my I have a personal, uh, I guess my personal values to make sure that I leave everything better than I found it. So we're going to grow this school. We're going to turn this school into uh, something that rivals the best agriculture programs uh, in this nation.
0: You talked about uh, the future of agriculture. You you talked about the genesis of it, Mm -hmm. the current situation, and then the future. What's the future of agriculture and, and your school here at UAPB? What do you hope to accomplish over the next five to 10 years?
2: Well, as I said, the very first thing that we're going to do, uh, the first thing on my agenda, is to grow the enrollment. Uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't have triple the number of students that we have now, so that's the first thing. When we talk about what's the, the future of agriculture. Uh, I'll give you one example. At one of the stations today, a young uh, lady, she's one of our, our master's students, she is researching what can be done with um, the stems from the sweet potato, the leaves. Uh, someone mentioned that in Florida, those leaves are in salads and it's a very um it's a, it's a, a niche salad. It, it's a, a, a new salad that you don't even see across the nation yet. She's doing lots of research. I asked the question, okay, I believe in zero waste. Before we throw anything away, what can we do with it? Have we looked at what we can do with uh the fiber because just like agriculture is working on that what about in the human science area and those who are working with fashion with the clothing area can we turn you know the stems into some type of textile that can be woven to create some kind of uh, you know some kind of merchandise you know some product So we are going to be investigating uh... we want to be in the forefront of any trends and we definitely want to tie in all the programs you know it might start with agriculture from the um, Planet source science in. Let's see how can uh, human sciences tie into that? What can we do? So that's where we're going. We're going to uh, really tie in the research that we're doing, you know, across all three departments. But we also want to be about creating new knowledge. That's what research should do anyway create new knowledge, create new products. And it's all for the good of the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, for the state of Arkansas, but even also good for this nation.
0: As I'm sure you're aware, Arkansas used to be one of the top two or three states in catfish production. Well that industry sadly has declined here in Arkansas still thriving a little bit bigger in Mississippi uh, but uh, fish farming you know used to be a major industry in in our state and right here at UAPB you were the home of the fisheries department for the state of Arkansas and the research going on in in aquaculture. Uh, Talk about where your department of fisheries is right now and even though I I was told here on the uh, field day today that you're kind of focusing more not so much on the catfish but the bait fish industry which is still huge. A lot of people may still not realize that we're the leading producer of bait fish in the whole nation. So what's happening in the uh, fisheries department right now?
2: Well they are. They are doing a lot of work with bait fish. Just a couple of days ago several of us, the provost, uh, the department chair and I went out and we visited with some of the fish farmers. Uh, to look at where what they see what they where they're gonna go next so we are seeing a uh, bait fish also we visited though a goldfish uh, a farm and and what kind of niche markets might be out there to uh, to help support those uh, industries because you know they're concerned as well that what's going to be next but that's what we uh, need to do I said we need to be on the forefront of trends to see how can they uh, diversify if the uh, from fish production, if, if there are challenges there, how can we reach out? What, what else can we do with uh, fishing to help uh, to help this economy? And what can we do also to help those farmers? You know, with your, with your investments, you're taught to diversify, right? You don't put all your eggs in one financial basket. So that's the same thing that we're going to be encouraging these farmers to do, to see how can you diversify so that if, if one area of your business is not doing well, there's some other uh, area that can shore that up. So that is what I'm going to be encouraging to, to see how can they diversify what they're doing already.
0: You know, backyard gardening is growing in popularity all the time, too. And I was on the tour with you, at part of the tour, and some of those individuals were just backyard gardeners. They're not large commercial producers, but they enjoy growing produce. And you were teaching them how to do it right through raised bed gardens and other things. Uh, you see that as a, as a growth and an outreach opportunity. Uh, to reach out to these uh, homeowners and and to these small farmers that just want to know how to grow produce more effectively.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think so. Uh, Another philosophy of mine is that the pendulum swings as far one way and then it starts swinging back. People used to do that. It wasn't raised bed, but everybody produced what their families ate. And so more and more we got away, and we got to markets and buying things to the point that, you know, kids think that, that food is grown in the grocery store. They don't know that's grown on farms. So I see the pendulum swinging back. So everyone, whether you are in an urban area uh, uh, environment. You can grow, um, you know, uh, grow food in in a windowsill. You know, just to have a little small bed in your windowsill. So I see us moving in that direction, teaching everybody in urban areas, not just in farming area, and in all areas in between, uh, the way you can grow products in whatever available uh, space that you have. So I do see us doing more of that, and we're going to do that through, uh, not just through the families themselves and going out, visit, but through the youth again, and back to the youth, and through 4-H. We're going to grow our 4-H program, and that's a great way to start it with the gardening, to teach them, first of all, that food doesn't come from the gro- uh, grocery store, okay, uh, but to teach them to plant their own food and to watch it grow. And I think that another thing that's going to do cause them to eat healthier. When they see that they've grown their own uh, food, they made that it exists because they made it exist. I think that the result is going to be people eating healthier. So we're going to do it through uh, not just working with families, uh, not just working with any particular uh, population like those who live on farms or those who might be in more urban areas, but we're going to focus also on the youth so that we can again create that generation that is going to uh, make things better and, and turn things around.
0: Well, Dr. Butler, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time and uh, welcome to UAPB and uh, the start of a brand new semester here. Uh, school's only been underway a couple of weeks and, uh, and I hope you have an outstanding fall semester and, and year here at UAPB. And we look forward to following the progress of the School of Agriculture, Fisheries and Human Sciences with you.
2: Thank you so much. We appreciate that, Mr. Moore. Thank you for your time.
0: Been speaking with Dr. Dozy Butler, the new dean director of the School of Agriculture, Fisheries, and Human Sciences here at the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff.
1: Next up, we have Greg Patterson covering a topic of a concern to many in Arkansas agriculture: feral hogs. The destruction of farmland, timberland, and wildlife habitat caused by feral hogs is a serious problem throughout the South. Thanks to a recent farm bill, 75 million dollars will begin to flow to seriously impacted states to support a pilot program for wild hog eradication projects. Several federal and state agencies will need to work together on this effort. So Greg talked with Arkansas Game and Fish Assistant Wildlife Chief Luke Lewis about his agency's role.
3: This is Greg Patterson. And on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Luke Lewis. And Luke is uh, Assistant Chief of Wildlife for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. And he's also the guy who's kind of got his arms wrapped around, uh, if we can even say that, this wild hog, feral hog issue. And Luke, there's, there's new money in the farm bill that's gonna go out to uh, a number of states, particularly in the South and the Southeast, uh, where they can do some pilot programs to try and get a handle on this this burgeoning population that's getting out of control. What's, what's Game and Fish going to be involved in?
4: Well, Greg, this has been a, an issue that's been building for a lot of years. You look at the maps of uh, the spread of feral hogs in, in Arkansas. They, they basically began in South Arkansas on the Saline River, and now they're in all 75 of our counties in the state. Uh, there's a task force, a feral hog task force made up of different agencies. Uh, Secretary Wes Ward, with, who's the Secretary of Ag, is a chairman. Uh, Chris Cole-Clazier with Arkansas Game and Fish is a vice chair, but I'd say, you know, there's not really positions on a task force. This is made up of a diverse group of people. Uh, Arkansas Dog Hunters Association, uh, the Arkansas Forestry Association. I think what's come to light is basically people both on public and private land are realizing that uh, we've got a problem, an ep- almost an epidemic problem in some counties. Uh, and I'm a very new employee, about three months now to Arkansas Game and Fish. This is one of my disciplines to manage for within the agency. and. Uh, so we're trying to wrap our hands around uh, some of this money that we're talking about, the potential for $8 million in our state, uh, most of that going towards full-time uh, trappers for hogs under APHIS, and uh, this is uh, Wildlife Services, and they help us with nuisance control animals. We've got many of them around the state, from cormorants to beavers to feral hogs being on top of the list right now. So. In the past, uh, we've seen our agency, if you Google uh, feral hog control or or where do y'all go, uh, our agency, because of it being a wildlife agency, has kind of come to the top of the list of a Google or internet search. And actually, uh, I would suggest to people their first uh, call or contact should be with wildlife services. Uh, I think what we're seeing now is that the capacity uh, to work on private land, 90% of our land in the state is owned by uh, private landowners. Uh, we, we last year in 2018 Arkansas Game and Fish spent 18,000 man hours trapping hogs on our state-owned and leased WMAs and so companies like Warehouser and Green Bay Packaging and Potlatch, uh, Ross Foundation, uh, Corps of Engineers, uh, as well as our own state-owned lands we're dealing with this issue and we've been keeping harvest records where we're trying to catch the hogs with a drop trap. Uh, it's, it's our best method to try to catch the whole herd sounder as what it's called uh, to begin to kind of eliminate the the problem on individuals' lands or our wildlife management areas. So I think that the key now is there's a lot of different people from fish and wildlife to Forest Service to APHIS to Arkansas Game Fish that have been trying to kind of within their own agency do uh, some of this control for the feral hogs which are really growing they're very prolific Uh, and we've come together there's probably 25 to 30 people on this task force made up of representatives of the Farm Bureau and uh, I can tell being new to this when my second day at work here I could sense the frustration in people in a meeting that you and I both attended. And from that point, I said, we've got to communicate. And it's not a us and them, it's a we. In other words, it's together we're going to address and, and get this issue under control.
3: Now, you, you've been traveling the state, um, going around and talking to a lot of people about this, uh, trying to get a better handle on, on the problem. Um, from the Farm Bureau perspective, our folks, our farmers and ranchers, have been howling for a number of years as these hogs come out and damage fields. You know, a fresh cut hayfield gets all torn up, crops get torn up, uh, anything a hog can get to, they're going to tear it up. What about from a wildlife perspective? What kind of damage are these uh,
4: feral well, hogs doing? That's a great question. And, and you know, uh, First week I was here, my immediate boss, Brad Corner, who's our chief of game, made a statement that has kind of stuck with me. He said, Luke, we cannot move forward managing our state lands until we get this problem with feral hogs under control. Because everything we do from uh, plant food plots and native warm season grasses, these animals are competing with our squirrels, our deer, our turkeys, our songbirds for food. and you know, they get their name, quite honestly, hogs, because they're hoggish. Uh, and it's not that I don't, I'm a hunter. Uh, I can understand the fellowship of hunting together. And, uh, but hunters have not been able to control the numbers that, you know, started in South Arkansas and now grown statewide. And just shooting, we've given people the ability, game and fish, just recently passed. If you get a permit now in August, uh, where you can hunt hogs 12 months out of the year, 24 hours a day, uh, with this permit you can you can use dogs, you can use infrared uh, guns that can use night vision. Uh, we pretty much open the gates for individuals if they have a permit to to control the hogs on their property, but we just don't feel like, and so far we don't see uh, a gain in trying to remove some of these animals and and lessen the numbers that we have out there. I'm not sure if I could, you know, sit here and tell you today that we're going to capture every hog and eliminate them in our state. Uh, I remember the second day that I was on the job. You and I sat together at a Farm Bureau feral task hog meeting, and one of our directors, Caleb, Plyler with Farm Bureau asked the commission of uh, far I mean the Game and Fish Commission. Uh, what does success look like? You know, how many hogs do we have? Uh, what's the number we should be targeting to harvest each year? And I leaned over to our veterinarian, Jen Ballard and I said to me success is when they're not on your land. And you know, we have a, we're having a hard time really giving an estimate of the population. We just know that they've gone from a small number now that are statewide. And in some places we've identified uh, tier one and tier two levels of hog numbers in various portions of the state. And that's going to be our emphasis in those counties. Uh, You know, personally, I feel like that uh, we're seeing people come together and I'm an optimist. I feel like that I've come here at a time when I'm representing our agency and our staff. Uh, we have a, a coordinator, JP Fairhead, that is our hog, feral hog coordinator. Uh, he's been doing this for many years. He's got a great handle, and we've got a lot of good information about what we've done on our state lands, and quite honestly, we could have done a better job sharing that with the public because we're sometimes uh, criticized about our wildlife management areas being breeding grounds for, for hogs. and. Uh, I can tell you just in the short time I've been here that our staff is diligently working to trap hogs in the hundreds annually on some of these WMAs. And, uh, you know, but that hog doesn't, he can't read. He can't see a boundary line. He can't see a, a, you know, a WMA sign. And, you know, you could pretty much draw a 10 or 15 mile radius around a WMA in our state or national forest and I would bet you that landowners would tell you that they've got a problem.
3: You know, you mentioned that it's really hard to get a handle on a good estimate of, of how many wild hogs we've got here in Arkansas, and, and some of the numbers that popped popped up uh, during the meeting you and I attended were three hundred to five hundred thousand. Well, that's that's pretty wide range. It may even be more than that. Uh, and then. Uh, success and as you mentioned you know when they're not on my land anymore and at the same time how do you get control of a population that big and the number was well you got to eliminate 80% yes sir. well you and I both know from from just wildlife biology that's a lot of animals in a high percentage to control things now you've been going around visiting folks what's some of the biggest frustration Uh, that you've been hearing from landowners not only farmers and ranchers but you know other private landowners they may have you know some timber out there or or even the private timberlands that are out there as well.
4: I I think you know uh, and and I'm not casting any stones when I say this this is a capacity issue Uh, you can't trap and control hogs part-time I think you've got to do things uh dedicated full-time people uh with a plan by county and some of the things that i feel like as we're planning this approach uh i know we met with mr bruce jackson in severe county and one of the things that we discussed was well we got 75 counties luke uh how about we start looking at a plan for Sevier county and i thought wow what a novel idea from just a lay person that would say you know, if we can get a handle on the problem we have in our county, then maybe we could share that with other people across the state. You know, sometimes working, I mean, working for an agency, uh, whether it be state or federal, sometimes it's hard for people to maybe believe us or trust us. And I think that, you know, we want folks to know that, you know, we realize this problem. It is, comp- they're competing with Resources. I mean, not only wildlife, but just the landscape. We're talking about millions of dollars impacted on our landscape right now in the state of Arkansas. You know, when you hear a gentleman from Ashley County talk about planting his Roundup Ready soybeans three times at $320 a bag, it's hitting his pocketbook. When you hear about another rancher that's just cut his hay on 20 acres and said the next night he had rooting of hogs, you know, in his pasture, where he's trying to drive a tractor and cut hay, rooting in every acre of that twenty acres. People are frustrated, and they're looking for somebody to blame or somebody to fix the problem. So I would say that uh, what's happening right now in Arkansas is a very timely situation where agencies and resources, financial resources, are coming together uh, to address this. I mean, this has gone all the way to the governor's office. There's been a money appropriated by the legislature to be spent. Uh, these legislators are getting their phones ringing. It's ringing what you're gonna do about this, and they're pushing that right back down to agencies like ours and APHIS and, uh, and others uh, to try to you know, come up with a solution. For a landowner let's just give a typical typical example uh you're looking at uh people who basically tonight a hog shows up on my property and it's not just rural areas we're, we're getting calls from places that have uh convenience stores uh inside towns and cities in their flower beds and their front yards uh i was actually moving last week in up to Bryant, Arkansas, on my way from Louisiana, and saw five feral hogs in the in the ditch on Highway 167 between Sheridan and Little Rock. And, you know, I guess to myself, I said, well, I'm not doing too good of a job if they're on a major highway like that. But it's going to take more than just one person. It's going to take more than just the people working for APHIS. It's going to take, you know, people understanding that there's a problem. There will be private individuals like Bruce Jackson that was frustrated enough to go buy his own trap and he's caught over 250 hogs he and his son Thomas at this point on his land but he's just taking care of a little small piece of ground uh, and if he quit today they'll be back because they're you know you're not gonna catch them all on just one piece of land on one WMA and so this has got to be a landscape approach a uh, county approach, you know, regional approach to control these numbers. And I mean, a deer hunter that's in a lease has got to decide if he's going to hunt deer or hogs, if he's going to want to have food resources for wild turkeys or, or squirrels because they're competitive. They're very competitive. So from a hunting standpoint, that's impacting people that recreationally use these areas. But then, you know, economically, you know, when you're looking at, you know, folks at ranch and farm for a living, they're using this land to make a living, it's hitting their pocketbook big time. And, you know, it's, people got to come together. And I mean, that's, I think, communication. We've got to find a way that we can gauge success and gauge, you know, the redneck values, what you see, here kill. And, you know, it, it's it's kind of sad to say, but you know, we just need to be able to eliminate a lot of these animals, and and some of these stories be told. You know, but it you know the thing I want to just really, I guess express personally, and I think from Arkansas Game and Fish is that, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, we're going to take a lead, and we're going to do our part, and I think we have. I'm I'm very impressed. Only being here three months with the dedication and effort by our staff. Uh, we want to tell the truth you know if we make mistakes we're trying to find the best way we can to control these animals and you know this is not a uh, knock against hunters or people that enjoyed hunting hogs in the past on their property Uh, they've just become epidemic
3: yeah we talked uh, early on in this conversation you were you were saying you know uh, the hunting side of things can't do it by itself in controlling hogs. Um, the other thing is trapping them in those corral-like traps where you can get you know, a good number of them. Uh, you bait them in there. And then the, the third option is actually putting poison out. Now, poison though, the unfortunate side of that is it's, it's indiscriminate. Right. Um, and, and you guys in managing wildlife have to pay attention to the other species that would be collateral damage if they uh, ingested that poison as well. So it looks like with this farm bill money that these four pilot projects hopefully will be set up uh, throughout the state and that trapping will play a heavy role in actually trying to show some success in dealing with these hogs.
4: Greg, that's a great point. And we have ninety percent of our land are, is owned by small private landowners. We're talking about people with, you know, 20, 40, 80, 100 acres uh, that comprise the majority of our state lands in in you know in our state. Many of these are Farm Bureau representatives. You know, you're one hundred ninety thousand members in the state, and uh, ranchers, farmers, you know, people that manage timber. Uh, you know folks that hunt some of these properties and i think that you know the take home message is i think folks are finally realizing because of these the growing number of hogs that we've got to come together as agencies both state and federal and the constituents of this state to understand that you know we've got to control these numbers or uh, you know it's, it's just it's just becoming a problem it's not just a rural issue it's it's within metropolitan areas and you know going driving down the highways and and you know accidents you see in collisions uh of course you have that with deer as well but you know i think you know if if i'm looking at it as a hunter uh yeah it could be a bonus animal to harvest if you're out there but if it's also competing with the quality of our deer and and the you know the capacity to have more turkeys because they're in good shape there's more food resources for turkeys or you know, squirrels out there. I mean, these animals are, are, are big-time competitors. They're very nocturnal. Uh, they're very prolific. You know, if, if I could claim uh, success, you know, working with quail and turkeys that we've had with, you know, what's happened with reproduction of feral hogs, I'd be uh, a hero in this state. Uh, they're just out-competing a lot of our wildlife, you know, at this time.
3: He's Luke Lewis. He's the Assistant Chief of Wildlife for the Game and Fish Commission. And on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we've been talking about feral hogs. Luke, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us.
4: Thank you, Greg. Looking forward to working with the Farm Bureau and the good people here in Arkansas.
1: Finally, Congressman Bruce Westerman talked with our Greg Patterson about his experience and expertise in forestry, his efforts to pass a forest management legislation bill, the forest and timber elements in the latest farm bill, and the state of the industry in Arkansas.
3: This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau. And on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with U.S. Congressman Bruce Westerman, who represents the fourth district in Arkansas and Congressman Westerman happens to uh, be probably the only Congressman, uh, member of Congress, probably in the Senate and the House, that, that has a forestry degree. Is that still true, sir?
5: That's definitely true in the House, Greg. Good to be with you today. And uh, I get to talk a little bit about trees. But well, Senator Rich in the, in the Senate, he actually studied forestry in undergrad, and then he went on and got a, a law degree. I don't think he ever practiced forestry, but uh, i'm I'm definitely the only House member with a forestry degree and and really kind of the only member in Congress that has uh, practical experience uh, in the forestry realm. So I get a lot of forest policy that comes my direction, which is a good thing because you know how important forests are uh, for arkansas and and really how important they are for the whole country.
3: and And talk in terms of uh, for the last three, sessions of Congress, I believe you have introduced legislation uh, for the Resilient Federal Forest Act, um, Healthy Forest Initiatives, a variety of different things that are near and dear to your heart that were probably spawned not only from your education, knowledge, and experience in forestry, but also because of catastrophic wildfire and In your uh, belief that good forest management can help uh, stem the tide there. Kind of explain how that's come about for you.
5: Yeah, we've had that uh, Resilient Federal Forest Act uh, that's passed the House um, and at least two times, you could say three times because it was part of an energy bill at one time, never got that far in the Senate as a standalone bill, but we have been able to get bits and pieces of it uh, included in other bills like the farm bill that was passed at the end of, of last year that had several provisions out of the Resilient Federal Forest Act. And really that, that stems, like you said, from my educational interest, but also just as a, as a conservationist and a person who wants us to see us be good stewards of the things that we have, um, you know, I have a real passion uh, to see us manage this federal land in a way uh, that does leave it in better shape for the future and unfortunately we haven't been doing that in the past three or four decades and one result of that is we're seeing these catastrophic wildfires like the, the campfire out in California uh, but uh, the damage that, that people may not see because it doesn't make as much headline news is when you get insects and disease attacks, and you see our forests mainly in the west that are being devastated by these insects and diseases, uh, which creates a lot of dead timber, creates a lot of uh, fuel load on the forest floor, and you get a a lightning strike or a uh, somebody lets a wildfire get out, Uh, and then you have these these catastrophic wildfires. That's kind of the accumulation of bad management uh, that we see uh, over time. You know, Fortunately, in Arkansas, we've done a, a pretty good job of managing our forests there. We still have uh, a good mixture of private and public uh, forest lands, obviously with the Washita, and the Ozark, St. Francis National Forest. We've got a lot of uh, federal land uh, in the natural state. And uh, I was just with uh, Vicki Christensen, the uh, chief of the Forest Service last week, uh, we did a tour on the Washita forest and I got to take her out and show her firsthand the, uh, uh, the work that the Forest Service is doing on the Washita with the, the shortleaf pine stem grass restoration project, which was all done to help create habitat for the red cockaded woodpecker. But, uh, it did do just that. We, we've seen, uh, big increases in the number of uh, Red Cockate did woodpeckers on the Washington National Forest, but uh, we also saw a real success story in restoring resiliency to the forest where these projects have been done. Um, they were able to sell some of the timber off to fund the work on the forest, which is good for the local economies. Uh, they saw a, a flush in natural vegetation um, with uh, a huge increase in plant biodiversity. And not only did the, the red cockaded woodpecker thrive, but you've seen increased um, counts of deer, turkey, quail, and uh, a lot of other songbirds. So it's really a, a great illustration of how everyone wins uh, when the forest is health, healthy and resilient. And the thing that, that is constantly happening in a healthy forest that we all benefit from, but we don't uh, necessarily uh, uh, we see it, but we may not know what we're observing, is we get clean water from healthy forests. Absolutely. Uh, you, you, uh, you know, a huge portion of drinking water in the United States comes from the forest, and the, the forest acts as a, as a filter for the water. You know, Theodore Roosevelt talked about how the forests are the lungs of the earth, which they certainly are because they take in carbon dioxide and they give off oxygen, and they sequester that carbon. Uh, but they're also, uh, I say, they're the kidneys of the earth because they clean the water, and they allow it to percolate into the ground, and uh, and uh, helps our groundwater and helps our our streams, and and again, uh, every way you can uh, measure good things uh, for the environment, uh, healthy forests play into that.
3: Now, mention um, uh, you you have tried in in several. Uh, sessions of Congress to to get your uh, resilient federal forest uh, bills passed but at the same time uh, they may have gone through the house and got stalled in the senate but you have been able to get some of the language from those bills into for instance you mentioned earlier in the conversation the recent farm bill that was passed and signed uh, went through um uh, it's uh, coming into law last year. So what specifically were you able to get into the uh, the farm bill? Well, part
5: of that deals with a program called Good Neighbor Authority. Uh, we in, improved the Good Neighbor Authority program to allow local communities and tribes uh, to participate in it. And what, what Good Neighbor is, is uh, where uh, entities and in Arkansas it would be the Arkansas Forestry Commission can work with the federal government to do management on on federal lands and I uh, also saw last week Secretary Purdue was in Little Rock uh, he and the governor signed a, uh, a memorandum of understanding on shared stewardship and this is uh, goes right along with that good neighbor authority we got that in the farm bill uh, we also got a program in there called 20-year stewardship contracting, which is a, a big deal. One of the biggest problems with uh, managing our forest right now is the fact that we've lost so much of our, uh, so many of our markets, and so much of our infrastructure to deal with the material that needs to come off of the forest. Uh, so, if you're uh, in the in the business of processing uh, fiber off of the forest and these plants are expensive. You may be looking at a, a multi-million, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars to build one of these facilities. And you have to have raw material to justify the cost of one of these facilities. So um, but by the Forest Service being able to enter into contract with the private party to say that we will provide uh, X amount of material over the next 20 years, it really gives incentive for people to come in and and build facilities to create markets for the uh, products. Uh, we, we've got way more wood in this country than we have demands for wood right now. Right. And one of the biggest challenges are to create new markets and to get uh, uh, facilities and infrastructure in place to handle the wood that needs to come off to keep the, the forest healthy. I, uh, in August, I was out in California on the Tahoe National Forest, and and then some other forests out there, and uh, they've lost so much infrastructure that they've finally gone in and started doing some management. I call it triage management. They're trying to make um, the the forest more resilient around roadways, you know, places where fires start, around uh, uh, power transmission lines, and also in in sensitive watersheds where forest fires do uh, the most damage to uh, very important watersheds, so they're they're hitting those areas. And the problem they're facing is they just don't have uh, markets for this timber that needs to come off, and that's because they've uh, more or less run the forest products industry out of the state. So um, it's a it's a complicated process, but you you have to have markets to be able to manage the forest to keep them them healthy. And we're talking about uh, you know just thinning like they did on the Wachita forest uh, where they kept some big trees for nesting trees for the red cockaded woodpecker but they cut some trees off uh, to get the right number of trees per acre so that the the land gets supported and so that wildfire could pass through and wouldn't be up in the in the crowns and those top uh, management activities need to happen all across the country in different forms uh, but the, the ingredient is having a market for that material or else it's just a cost to the taxpayer and a real waste of of natural resources.
3: When you look at the state of Arkansas, your home state that you represent, and you've been around to visit um, federal forest lands throughout uh, the United States, U.S. Forest Service lands and other federal lands, how does Arkansas stack up as far as a uh, Timber-producing state? Do they have those markets that allow them to do this kind of forest management?
5: Yeah, we we do, and we're as I'd say we're as good as anybody in the in the country, and we deal with uh, you know if you start on the East Coast and move west, you, it's almost a gradient of how much public land there is. So in Arkansas, we've got a nice mixture of private land and public land. And, uh, the, the forestry community in Arkansas works really well together. Uh, from the, the Arkansas timber producers, that's the, the loggers, the Arkansas Forestry Association, which represents the, the industry. You got the Arkansas Forestry Commission, which is, uh, uh, the state agency that deals with forest. Uh, then you've got groups like the Nature Conservancy. And all these groups in the, in the U.S. Forest Service work very well together. And and it shows in our state where we, uh, by and large, have very healthy forests. We have good markets for our products, but we're still producing uh, uh, biomass growth that's way exceeding how much we're using. About about we're we're growing forty percent more trees every year than what we're taking off of the forest, and that translates into about fifteen to sixteen million. Uh, tons of, of wood that's standing in the state of Arkansas right now that wasn't there last year. And if you want to put that even into simpler terms to illustrate it, uh, the forests in Arkansas are growing more timber at a rate of about one log truck per minute uh, every minute of every day of the year. Uh, that's, that's how productive our forests are. Whereas you go out west and they're actually losing forest. They've got less forest this year than they had last year. Uh, so the the forest is dying faster than it's growing. So I think the rest of the country could really learn a lesson from how we do forestry in Arkansas.
3: Now, tie back into that, um, the fact that you were mentioning a lot of the infrastructure is gone in many states that once had uh, vibrant um, timber operations that were ongoing. Is it an issue where raw timbers, raw logs are being shipped overseas to be processed and then shipped back to the U.S.? Is, is that where we've lost the market or is that a market we can recapture in, in your opinion?
5: Well, the, the market, there, there's a lot of things that go into the market. One thing is uh, when you look at places like California, they just quit cutting trees. And made it so complicated that there was not, not much incentive to cut trees. So mills closed up. There's still strong the markets for wood in California, but it's, it's coming in from, from other places. I mean, there's still some production in California and, and Oregon and Washington, but it's not near what it was at one time. Uh, trade has a, a definite impact on the markets. Um uh, even though we have all this excess wood in the united states we're still the world's second largest importer of wood products we import between 25 and 30 percent of the wood we use in this country from canada now the only other larger importer uh, of wood products is china Uh, there have been markets developed where we ship raw logs overseas and get finished goods uh, coming back Uh, there's an argument that those finished goods could be uh, made here in the U.S., but there's also the argument that we need markets uh, for our logs, so it gets complicated when you start talking about markets and trade, but we also just need more uses uh, for wood, and one of those really exciting things that are out there, and, and Arkansas, again, is a leader on this with the University of Arkansas, and that's called mass timber construction, and... Uh, the University of Arkansas built the library storage building, and, and this fall they just opened up two five-story mass timber dormitories uh, over there by Bub Walton Arena. And uh, I'm going to be up in, in Fayetteville for a seminar on that in October. Uh, and, you know, just recently Walmart announced that they're going to build their new corporate headquarters out of mass timbers. Uh, we've got a, a CLT or mass timber plant opening up or it's actually running down in Magnolia. So uh, the it's exciting what we're doing with wood and, and the benefits of building with wood, how it stores carbon and allows our forest to be managed better. Uh, but uh, we need to continually be developing new markets so that we can keep the forest managed the way that it needs to be.
3: Now explain to the listeners what the whole mass timber um, uh, deal is, because it sounds real interesting.
5: Yeah, and if you... Um, if you got a, a rudimentary understanding of of dimension lumber or two by fours, two by sixes, you know those kinds of boards, and then you understand what plywood is, well, you you take uh, two inch lumber and you glue it together on the sides, and you make a big mat, and then you you turn that mat perpendicular and you glue it together to another mat, uh, and you just make these thick mats uh, that. Really, they can be uh, over a foot thick or more, uh, and they become very strong structural panels because you're turning that uh, those mats perpendicular to each other, and you get strength in both directions. Kind of like a piece of plywood's made, except you're you're kind of making plywood out of two-inch lumber, and uh, you can design that into uh, uh, building panels and create the floors, the walls and the the ceilings for a uh you know even up to, in skyscrapers they've built an 18 story uh building in british columbia and they're building them 30 stories high in europe uh wood works great in seismic zones so if because it's so flexible it also it's much lighter than steel and concrete so your foundations don't have to be as deep and these mass timbers um have great fire resistance because if if they do catch on fire, they they smolder and they retain their strength much longer than even um, steel or other building products do. Uh, but because they're so thick and they they've got great insulating capabilities, uh, it's a natural structure that's storing carbon and it's also uh, making our forests more productive. So it's it's some really exciting things and the. The University of Arkansas has been a leader on it. Uh, Peter McKeith, who's the dean of the Fay Jones School of Architecture there, uh, I've actually had him up to DC to testify in a a little hearing with Secretary Purdue when we were looking at um, the mass timber markets, and uh, we've got something to be proud of there.
3: Yeah, that sounds amazing. Talking terms now of uh, we've been we've been talking a, a lot about. Um, federal lands, but uh, Arkansas and other states, especially throughout the South, East, and the south here, have a lot of private uh, lands that are producing timber, not only whether it's a timber company that owns that land, but a lot of our farmers and ranchers have uh, uh, land that's out there that's producing timber. And, and how do you uh, incorporate them into the timber management process as well?
5: Well, you know, when private individuals and and companies own land and and timber, they usually manage it for the best uh, payback, and we are blessed with some uh, uh, great private landowners in Arkansas, Uh, and again, the biggest problem they have are finding markets uh, for their timber, but if you look nationwide at where new processing facilities are being built and where investment's taking place, it's in the south, and that's by no accident because that's where the private landowners are and where they uh, know how to manage the timber and they can provide reliable supplies uh, to these people that are investing in facilities. So uh, we've got huge upside potential as far as attracting uh, new investments into the state because of our timber resources if there were just those markets out there to expand um, uh, so that more wood would be in demand. And, uh, you know, one of the big issues is what you do with the, the small diameter stuff. Um, there's a lot of research going on into energy and chemicals that can be made from biomass. Uh, there's a lot of wood pellets that are being exported to Europe. Right. There's, there's potential for more markets for that. I was just in Japan within the last couple of weeks. They're closing down their nuclear power plants, and they're looking at more um, or at alternate forms of energy. And I talked to them about how we've got a lot of biomass in Arkansas that they could, uh, you know, bring pellets in and and generate electricity there. It's not the cheapest way to generate electricity, but if you've mandated you're going to go away from nuclear or coal or or some other form of energy, then uh, it certainly comes into play.
3: Well, let's wrap this up by uh, touching base um, in regards to catastrophic wildfire. And and you've been around the whole country and and compare what sits here in Arkansas as potential catastrophic wildfire to uh, some of the other places out west that have really suffered from that recently. Yeah, well,
5: catastrophic wildfire can happen anywhere. Uh, you know, a few years back, we saw those huge fires in Chattanooga, um, and you know that's an eastern forest where you typically wouldn't think of uh, of catastrophic wildfire. The ones out west uh, seem to be higher intensity and destroy more property. Uh, but it's, the Forest Service has an interesting map called the Wildland Urban Interface and it's where forest and urban areas meet. They've they've defined these areas across the country. And I think we would uh, generally think that most of those are out west, but actually most of them are in the east simply because there's more population in the east and you got people living um, closer to the forest in more areas. So uh, during the last disaster relief bill, I was able to get some funding in there uh to go to a program called State and Private Forestry and it's uh where organizations like the Arkansas Forestry Commission uh work with uh private landowners in the wildland urban interface uh to do a better job of managing those forests and also to uh there's an existing program called um uh, firewise uh which uh, helps educate people on how to make their property more uh fire resilient. So um we could have a fire like that in Arkansas, but there's there's activities taking place and programs out there uh, trying to mitigate that as much as possible. Uh, when you see fires like we've seen in in California the past few years, uh, you're we're starting to create situations where I've, I've actually had meetings with um, executives from insurance companies who are worried about uh, not being able to write insurance policies in some of these communities anymore because of the, the risk is just too high. So there's a, a lot of different angles where people want to see, uh, these communities more resilient to fire. Um, and, you know, if you're trying to rebuild in one of these, uh, areas that are really prone to catastrophic fire or, or, or build in one of these areas, uh, if you can't get insurance, you're not going to be able to get a, a loan from the bank. So you you can see how this kind of snowballs into some pretty, um, pretty damaging circumstances. And, and we would like to, to mitigate that as much as possible as well.
3: He's Bruce Westerman. He is the U.S. Congressman from the 4th District in Arkansas. And, Bruce, thank you so much for spending time with us. Arkansas certainly is fortunate to have you as the only forester uh, in the house and experienced one in Congress to uh, help with these issues. Thank you so much for spending time on Arkansas Adcast today.
5: Thanks Greg, always always good to be with you and always good to talk about trees anytime.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's Arkansas Adcast. Look for a new episode next Thursday, featuring interviews on banking and lending issues in agriculture, and the winning tradition of the Southern Arkansas University Mule Rider Rodeo Team.